Regrettably, almost the only time we ever talk about the Bible topics of elders is whenever we're about to appoint someone to be an elder. The problem is, that being the case, as we listen to those lessons on pastors and bishops, we rarely sit there listening, wondering, what does this say to me? Most of the time, we're so busy wondering who around us is qualified to be an elder that we don't consider what this message about elders means for our lives. We spend our time saying, well, I know I'll never be an elder, and so this doesn't apply to me. I wonder who here is qualified, and we start looking around. Or perhaps we say, you know, one day when I am an elder... These things will apply to me. But right now is not that day. And so I wonder who we have that fits the bill. The thing that we need to realize is that God's message about elders and their jobs and their qualifications is not just for folks who are elders or about to be elders. There are lessons that we need to learn from the duties and qualifications of shepherds. And so I want us today to take a look at the qualifications and the job of the pastor. And instead of looking around us to see who is qualified so that we can appoint him, because we're not planning on appointing anyone right now, let's look at ourselves and see what these things mean for us. I want us to begin by discussing the qualifications of elders. We can find these in 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, 1 Timothy 3, 1, the Scripture there says, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetousness, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach, and the snare of the devil. We can also turn the pages over to Titus chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, the Scripture there says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. As we examine these two lists, we can boil these things down and recognize that God wants a man who's a man of character. He wants a good man. He wants a man of conviction. He wants a teaching man. He wants a man of demonstrated capability. He wants someone who is a family man. 
This is the elder's qualification. If someone desires the work of a bishop, he desires a good thing, but this is the kind of person he must already be. And some of us say, wow, well one day when it's my time to be an elder, I'll start worrying about those qualifications. But there's a problem with that. If you are going to continue to postpone until it is your time to be an elder working on these qualifications, then guess what? It will never, ever be your time to be an elder. A qualification is something that you're supposed to have prior to becoming an elder. We don't get to appointment as elders and say, now work on this. We don't come up and say, all right, we're thinking about appointing folks. You guys start working on those qualifications, and if you've got it by June, we'll appoint you. These are things we have to be working on right now if we ever desire to be qualified. I remember being in high school and telling my dad at the dinner table, this was the end of my junior year, we had just had an assembly that said, hey, if you want to try out for the football team, you need to do it now. And so I was ending my junior year, about to go on my senior year, I told my dad, I said, you know what, I think I'm going to go out for football this year. And my dad laughed at me. But uh, he said, uh, son... That would really be pointless. He said, now certainly you have enough athletic ability to make the team. There's no doubt about that. But these guys that you're going to be playing with, they've worked for years to develop and be qualified to play football. And you don't know the first thing about football. All you would be qualified to do is stand around and practice and get pounded. But you'd never ever get to play because you wouldn't be qualified. You hadn't worked on that. These guys have worked on it for years. I decided I didn't want to be a pounding bag, so I didn't play football. But you see, the fact is, a qualification is something you have to have beforehand. You don't suddenly just get to say, oh, I want to do this, and then start working on the qualification. But the real problem with the mindset that says, one day when it's my time to be an elder, I'll work on these qualifications, is not the fact that you have to be qualified before being appointed. The real problem with that mindset is that it misses what God has presented to us in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus chapter 1. When you take a look at the picture of the shepherd in Christ's church, what we find is that what God really wants among those who will lead His flock is a mature Christian. When you read 1 Timothy 3 and when you read Titus chapter 1, God is not giving us a picture of particular people, just a few who will be in the congregation. He is giving us the picture of what He wants every Christian to be. This is the goal. We are all supposed to strive for maturity. Who among us should be growing to be mature Christians? Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, Peter wrote, talking about new Christians, he says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. Even the moment we come into Christ, our duty is to desire God's Word. Why? So we can grow. Look in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. The Scripture there, Peter wrote in 2 Peter 1, 5, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly... 
Brotherly kindness, love. Sorry. Lost my train of thought there for a moment. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. What's this talking about? This is talking about growth. This is talking about each and every one of us as Christians. What are we supposed to do? We are supposed to grow to maturity. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14, he said, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. Every single one of us has the responsibility to grow to maturity. None of us is exempt from that. And when are we supposed to start it? The moment we become Christians, we're supposed to start growing to maturity. And none of us is left out. Whether we are near being qualified for elders, far from being qualified to be elders, or never be qualified to be elders. Now, let me say, I understand that a person does not have to be married or have children to be a mature Christian. However, for those Christians who decide to marry and decide to have children, what is said about the elders regarding the family demonstrates mature Christianity in the home. And we need to remember that applies to all of us. Take a look at what Paul said about men just in general in the book of Titus chapter 2 and verse 2. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 2, you'll find there that Paul said in Titus 2 and verse 2 that the older men are to be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. Notice what it says about the young men in verse 6. Likewise, in Titus 2, 6, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Don't these things sound surprisingly like the qualifications for elders? And yet this is about men in Christ's church, both young and old. But what about the women? Let's look at Titus chapter 2 and verse 3. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teacher of, of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, love their children, be discreet, chaste homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Notice what Paul said about widows who would be qualified to be taken into the number in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 9. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 9, Paul wrote, Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she's been the wife of one man, well reported for good works. If she's brought up children, if she's lodged strangers, if she's washed the saints' feet, if she's relieved the afflicted, if she's diligently followed after every good work. Don't those things sound surprisingly like the qualifications for being an elder? And yet this is about women. You see, what we find out is that mature Christianity is essentially the same for men and women alike. And when Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, said these are the kind of men God wants to be shepherds, pastors, bishops, elders of His church, 
He wasn't trying to provide a picture for just the few. He was demonstrating the picture of mature Christianity. And as we read those things, we should see ourselves there. That's what we're supposed to be. Whether we ever become elders or not, that picture is our goal for maturity in Christ. Who is this for? For you and me. For all of us. And every time we read these passages, we need to read them that way. But what about the elder's job? We can find the elder's work described in 1 Peter chapter 5. If you look in 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to begin reading in verse 1 and continue on to verse 4. In 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, it says there, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The elders are supposed to shepherd the flock of God. They serve as overseers. When somebody has a spiritual problem, the elders take care of that. When folks need to be fed, the elders are supposed to take care of that. Guiding and guarding the flock, the elders do that. When someone's doing something wrong and sinning, the elders are supposed to go and rebuke and convict them. Boy, sure I'm glad I'm not an elder, so I don't have to worry about doing all that, huh? But don't worry, one day when it's my time to be an elder, I'll start doing that work. Is that how we think? Regrettably, it seems that at times those of us who are not elders, who are not pastors in the flock of God, we see brethren in spiritual need and offer up the spiritual equivalent of Cain's response to God in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 9. Am I my brother's keeper? That's the elders' job. When are they going to do something about that? I want you to look in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Paul said, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. When someone needs to be fed spiritually, guided, guarded, when somebody needs to be restored, Paul says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. When we back off and say, that's not my job, that's someone else's job, we're not saying that we're not elders. We're saying that we're not spiritual. Because Paul said, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. This is our job, to look out for our brethren. Look again at 1 Peter chapter 5. You remember there, we pointed out that the text said that it's the elder's job to serve as overseers. The word translated serving as overseers is episcopal. That particular term is used only one other time in the New Testament and it's found in Hebrews chapter 12. 
In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15, it's translated there, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. But let's read the context of that verse. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to begin at verse 12. It says, Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Verse 14 of Hebrews 12, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, be, <coughs> springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. And it goes on to describe who and what we are, but notice, Hebrews chapter 12 is not written to elders. It's written to Christians. And it says that we are to look carefully. Whose job is it to strengthen the hands which hang down? It's the Christian's job. Whose job is it to strengthen the feeble knees? It's the Christian's job. Whose job is it to make straight paths for the feet? so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. It's the Christian's job. Whose job is it to help folks go to heaven? It's our job. Yours and mine. Whether we're elders or not. That's our job. We don't just hand it off to somebody else and say, oh, one day I'll get around to that, but right now, I've got other things to do. The Hebrew writer says this is what we are supposed to do. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. It's our duty to help people turn away from defilement. Someone is, of course, going to ask the question, well, if that's the case, if this job belongs to everyone, why then do we appoint specific men to be overseers? the elders. Well, we look in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, and we can see very specifically in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 that Paul wrote, and he himself, that is God, gave some to the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. What do we learn from that? We learn very clearly that not everyone is going to be an elder because he only gave that gift to some. Well, how is it if one verse says that he only gave that gift to some, that we then turn around and say that the responsibility applies to everyone? Well, the same way we do it with evangelists. In Ephesians 4.11, doesn't it point out that he gave some to be evangelists? And yet, don't we already recognize and realize that the responsibility of evangelism, of getting the gospel out, of saving the lost, falls on every one of us? Evangelism is not just something we hire out. But certainly there are some who are given to evangelism. There are some whose lives are devoted to the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. But the responsibility to teach and proclaim God's Word applies to everyone, doesn't it? And in the same way, we can say that about the elders and the responsibilities that we all have. Whose job is it? To strengthen the brethren. All of our jobs. Whose job is it to restore the fallen? It's all of us. Whose job is it to convict the gainsayer? It's all of our jobs. 
But there are some whose lives are given over to that. That's what they do. They may even make a living from it. Those are the ones that are elders, pastors, bishops. The ones whose life is given up to take care of brethren and to strengthen them and to help them go to heaven. That's not to say that they won't have secular jobs. They don't want to make up rules where God didn't make rules. Just like the man whose life is given over to evangelism might work a secular job for 2 Thessalonians 3.8, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but work with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we don't have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. They certainly might have secular jobs to provide a living. But even that is secondary to what they view as their real job, taking care of brethren and helping them go to heaven. There are some whose lives are given over to that. But that doesn't mean that the rest of us are not responsible to help our brethren grow and go to heaven. It's a sad thing when we hear Christians say, well, when are the elders going to do something about so-and-so? If we're asking the question, don't we know about so-and-so? The real question should be is, when am I going to do something about it? I know about it. When am I going to encourage them? When am I going to convict them? When am I going to reprove and rebuke? When am I going to teach them? When are we going to do this? Because it's our job. Don't leave it up to the elders. We ought to take care of it. And when we've gone and talked to them, and if they still won't submit to Christ, then we take it to the church. But that's another lesson. Whose job is it? It's our job. Don't say one day when it's my time to be an elder. What are we doing about these things right now? When you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, what are we doing right now to grow to that maturity? Don't put up your Bibles. Don't get out your songbooks. Trying to get you to think about something, not get ready to leave. What are we doing right now to become what Paul said Right there. What are we doing right now to help all our brethren go to heaven? Don't be overwhelmed by what you see here. The mere fact that God made these qualifications for elders demonstrates that He knows about growth and the fact that Christianity is a growing process. And the fact that some of us are not all the way there yet doesn't mean we're lost and going to hell. It just means we still have to grow. But God wants us to grow. What are you doing? Now you can pull out your songbook. Please.